What is going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell on this Friday. Fired up. Big weekend. We got a ton of stuff we got to get to. We're going to react to last night's uh, Thursday night football game because it was a crazy, wild game. A fun, entertaining game uh, for Thursday night. I thought it was really entertaining. So fun to get that one. We're going to give you our picks for all the NFL games, the biggest games of the weekend versus the spread. But before we get to any of that, Raj, I feel yeah. like I look like crap. Like, I, I, it's a safe assumption, right? Like, my setup here, the lighting's a little bit stodgy. Like, I feel like a, I have the light propped up in my face so we can have lighting. Um, yeah. So I'm not shadows. But I got like a 5 o'clock shadow, which really looks like a 10 o'clock shadow. I got four hours of sleep last night. I am dragging. But I'm very thankful that I'm able to do this show from the road because I'm covering a college football game tomorrow. But all that being said, I just feel like I look a little bit less than a million bucks. I'll say that. <laughs> no, bro, you're good. Hey, you know what? You look like you're in like a college dorm. Your roommate's sleeping. You forgot to get some work done, and you're sitting there at like this this desk with a lamp in your face trying to get your work done, bro. I appreciate the effort. Yeah, it's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah. I found myself in the dilemma last night. I'm curious to know what you would have done in this spot. So I was traveling. I'm on, I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm actually yeah. at University of Western Michigan's student radio station using their radio sh- uh, center to do my radio show and to do this show. So thankful for them. Shout out to uh, University of Western Michigan. Uh, for letting me do that. Um, but last night, I flew to Detroit, and I was meeting my play-by-play guy, Jason Horowitz, who's calling the game for me on CBS Sports Network on Saturday. I was supposed to meet him in Detroit, and then we were going to drive to Kalamazoo. That's okay. the plan. Right? So we both got in literally within five, min- five, minutes of other, five minutes of each other. Our flights were landing at 8.50 and 8.55. I get in. My flight is early. It gets in at 8.35. So I'm like, sweet. This will give me time to go get the rental car. I'll be able to pull him up, scoop him. We'll get on the road. We'll be at our hotel by 10, 30, 11. No big deal. So I get the rental car and I text him and I say, yo, I'm like, where are you? And uh, he goes, in the air still. <laughs> I go, okay. I said, are you close? And he said, I think so. He said, it feels like we're getting closer. I'm like, what the heck? They give you ETAs, right? <laughs> So I'm like, all right, I got the rental car. I go to the gas station, get some snacks, come back. I'm like, hey, any closer? He's like, I think we're circling. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So my question for you, this went on for an hour and a half. So finally, he did give me the ATA. He's like, yeah, I don't think we're going to land till closer to 10 or 10.15. Finally, 10.28, he says we have landed on the ground. But my question to you, at what point do you think I should have bolted on my play-by-play guy who was counting for me on, on a ride? Or do you think I made the right decision in sticking around, which ultimately cost me about two hours of sleep? And sleep comes at a premium in my life. Like, I, I got kids running around. I don't get that many good night's sleeps in a quiet hotel. And it killed my sleep. Should I have left them in the dust and said, get your own ride? It's part, like of being on a, part of being on a team, bro. You preach, you preach take one for the team all the time on, on the show. Um, if it was a 30-minute commute, like, to wherever you had to be, yeah, get up, roll out, tell them catch a cab or an Uber. You know, that's not a big deal. I think I would understand that. But two hours worth of a drive, bro, you better wait for me. You leave me, Danny. We got beef. Right. I could have told him to get the Uber and expense it. But I'm <laughs> glad you brought that up so nobody can ever question me. When I'm always preaching team, 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 I'll say, remember that time? So I'm going to hold you to that next time you get mad at me uh, for preaching about the team. All right. Speaking of teams, last night the Green Bay Packers were playing at home at Lambeau. It felt like a must-win game for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they came up big in a really tough spot because if they would have slid – uh, another game behind uh, in the N- NFC, and it just in being decimated, it just felt like it was a must-win game 
for the Eagles and the Packers, who were undefeated, felt like, hey, they were the better team. But ultimately, it's kind of a wild, crazy game, especially right before the half, a couple of a flurry of points right before halftime. But there were some things that I don't think, like the game should be the end-all, be-all. Like, that's what we should talk about, great performances. And we will, because the play calling at the end, a couple goal line stands for Philadelphia, did take the premier stage. But for me, there were two massive failures that were really a tough look for the NFL. Um, and it's the officiating with this. This is the dumbest rule, the dumbest knee-jerk reaction I've seen in the history of the NFL is the review of the pass interference. And you know what drives me nuts even more? Not only that they made the rule as a, as a reaction to the NFC Championship game, but the fact that they still can't get it right because there is clearly a play that unfolds and Matt LaFleur uh, throws the red flag and says, nope, that's a pass interference. They all see it on the board, and clearly the defender is all up in the receiver's junk, not even playing the ball. His hands are all over his body and blocking his view. And you know what? Guess what the review comes back? No call. Fourth down. Packers have to punt. That thing is infuriating to me. I think it's infuriating to NFL fans. And I think the NFL should be embarrassed with trying to implement this rule. And I think they need to dial it back or it's going to hurt the game. Yeah, they've got to they've got to scale this one back. This was one of those plays where even you know even Eagles fans were probably sitting at home saying, yeah, yeah, that's pass interference. Like you know, no one no one could lobby for that not to be a pass interference. And they did it so casually and quickly on the replay. It was like they didn't even honor the fact that he threw the flag. If I was Lafleur, I would have been pissed that you didn't sit there and look at it even longer because it was almost like they had their mind made up. This is one of those ones where, you know, in the NBA they introduced like replay for out of bounds. Um, stuff that's clear cut, right? Like who'd the ball go off of? Um, you know, whether or not it's a goal 10, the ball's on the rise versus coming down. I think you can replay that. But fouls, um, you know, pass interferences, holding calls, things that are really, really subjective and there's no like black or white answer. Those are really hard things to introduce replay into the conversation with. And, you know, I'm of the opinion, like I said, with holding, 95% of balls thrown, there's pass interference on either the defender or the offensive player. I don't know why you introduce um, an, another spotlight, so to speak, to put on referees and their inability to get that call right. Let it be at his discretion and keep it moving. It hasn't really been a huge problem. No, exactly. And Matt LaFleur was very frustrated about it, understandably so. He said he didn't get an answer to why the final interception of the game wasn't reviewed. Listen to Matt LaFleur after the game as he talks about some of the officials. Yeah, I, I really don't know what pass interference is anymore, so I'll just leave it at that. No explanation, nothing. So, Did you think of taking a timeout there just to give him more time to think about maybe? Do you think that would have made any difference? Uh, no, I think they, they made up their mind. I mean, they review every play. So I thought there was a questionable one on one of their touchdowns, and they didn't review that either. So I don't know. All right, so you can understand the frustration in him. I'm on the same page. I don't know what pass interference is anymore. Like, it's only opened up this can of worms, which has been a complete mess. That wasn't the only uh, misstep from the officials in the game last night. I also thought... How in the world can this happen in a league that is dealing with a very serious problem when it comes to head injuries, right? CTE is in the forefront of every parent's mind. Um, they're supposed to be about protecting the players. And yet, when Jamal Williams gets knocked out of the game on a really dirty, egregiously bad hit, 
from Derek Barnett. Like, how can you not allow, how can you allow him to stay in the game with the helmet-to-helmet contact that took place? There were multiple plays when you had targeting took place, and yet they didn't call him. But I thought the Derek Barnett hit was the most egregious. The receiver is there propped up, and he comes in and just directly spears him right to the helmet. I don't understand why that player is allowed to stay in the game. I think college actually gets it right more often than not when it's the NFL. But this is a major miss. And then you know what it leads to? Not one, but two players getting carted off the field and in silence because everybody's scared of of the seriousness of the injury. I thought it was a big miss for the NFL last night, especially with the officials, the way they handled not only pass interference, but targeting as well. Yeah, they, they, you know, they missed on those. I want to go back to LaFleur, though, saying that he didn't call the timeout um, mm-hmm. because he didn't think it would have made a difference. I think you have to call the timeout there. Um, whether or not you think they've got their mind made up or not, you have to call the timeout, drag it out, make your case, lobby, do what you have to do. But it makes no sense if you got one in your pocket and you've just turned the ball over to let the Eagles go out there and run a play and kill the game. You you have to drag that out and lobby and plead your case to whoever you can plead it to. Um, in terms of the, the helmet-to-helmet, um, I'm with you, Danny. It was a miss. Like, that's a dirty play. You know, I was watching it with my wife and my, my boys who play football. So, you know, we were all holding our breath. And, you know, whenever that happens as a parent, I'm going to be honest. I'm sitting there like, dang, is this, you know, is it a good idea to really have them out there playing? Um, you know, I, I think for some, you know, this is a deeper conversation than whether the NFL missed it or not. And maybe it's, it's, it's just the nature of football. But in the NBA, like in MLB, even soccer to some degree, like we all compete. We're, we're a brotherhood. We all compete, but no one's really trying to hurt the other guy, right? And I, I don't know how you get rid of that. I don't know if it's culturally taught at the youth level or not, but football needs to get away from that mentality. Like, and I know it's an inherently, uh, physical game and, and, and that's, you know, kind of what's preached, but man, it seems like, you know, the pride that's taken from some of these guys in maiming someone else is part of the problem here. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying that, he maimed him, but what? Like it's like they're trying to inflict the most amount of pain that you can, and I don't understand why you can't play that game without that attitude. Well, I so here's where I would here's where I would push back just a little bit. I think you should be trying to hit the other player as hard as you can, make him not want to get up. But why do you have to do that with the crown of your helmet? Why do you have to spear him the way that Derek Barnett did in that situation? Because you could have just as eagerly come up and give him a rib shot. Or, you know, with your shoulder pad and hit him just with as much force. But we've realized over time that the helmet is a weapon. And some of the most dangerous hits that take place are those helmet-to-helmet hits that take place. I mean, we watch it in super slow motion. Imagine, like, I almost want to see that in full speed. Like, the amount of force that takes place is dangerous. Um, Bobby Bowden used to tell us, when he would talk to the team before the game, he would always tell our defense, hey, you want to make the other quarterback want to quit. You want to knock him out of the game. And it was never, he did not preach to be dirty. He preached to hit him enough times where he did not want to get up, where he didn't want to go back on the field. So that's a mindset that's ingrained in, in, in football players from day one. And I'm okay with that. But what you're alluding to is where players across the league have to realize the seriousness of the injuries, not only to what it could do to Jamal Williams or others who are carted off the field and what it could mean for their careers, but what it could mean to the sport in general. Because that's the exact thing I thought of when I was watching that unfold, is how many people were like you and your wife and your boys as you're watching that game saying, yikes, this is dangerous stuff. This is, I don't know if I want to be playing that. 
And that, to me, is a major issue that the NFL has in its hands. So if they can't officiate that out of the game, they have a massive problem. And to me, it was so evident. Like, it was so clear. How does he not get ejected is beyond me. And he actually had one of the the sacks and the fumbles in the game that helped Philly get points. He still went on and made an impact on that game. He's going to get fined a lot, but you've got to take players off the field to send the type of message so that it stops happening. And I do think when you're talking about teammates, there is a brotherhood where you don't take out guys' knees. You know, you don't right. want to go low knees, and you don't go spear guys in the head. I think that's what you're talking about, which I'm totally on board with, that players do have to kind of uh, have that mindset so they protect each other. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Maybe I didn't articulate that well enough because I, I do support, um, you know, <laughs> making someone want to quit. Like, you know, doing what you can do within the legal parameters of whatever game you're playing to make that opponent not want to be out there. And football is physical, and that's part of it. I just mean the, the, the head-to-head type of stuff. The stuff that, unfortunately, still gets taught. Like, you, you know, I go from park to park, Danny. I'm out there with my kids. And I hear people still, you know, preaching that type of stuff. You can impose physical will um, and and take someone's spirit away with just physicality. To your point, ribs, shoulder, you know, making them get up, clean legal tackle and driving them into the ground. It doesn't have to be head-to-head trying to knock someone out with a concussion. That I don't understand. Yeah, I don't either. And the NFL's got to do some answering, too. I mean, I'll be curious to say what type of statement they come out with. After all this, I did see an Adam Schefter tweet that, uh, tweet that said uh, Derek Barnett was not going to be suspended for any amount of time. My thing, if you have a hit that's that dirty, you should miss as much time as the player you injured. Like, I think that's a really easy policy. Guys would definitely be steering away from those types of hits. All right. We haven't talked about the actual game very much yet. So the, the, the Green Bay Packers had two opportunities within the 10-yard line where they had opportunities to go in and score, and they came away with zero points. Um, especially the one when they had four passes. And it's, it's not going to get as much criticism as Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens did when they were playing the Rams and they passed it, uh, you know, all three times in the red zone down there. They got criticized for it. But I think the Packers should be criticized for it too, no matter that they have Aaron Rodgers, one of the best in the game. They should have worked in a little bit more balance. But this has been a problem with anybody that's coached Aaron Rodgers as you fall in love with his abilities but the defense, it makes it easier for them to stop in that situation when there is literally no threat of a run. You've got to keep the defense honest in that position. Yeah, um, you know, I talk about talent being an intoxicating thing for coaches sometimes when we talk about players with with uh, you know attitude issues or checkered pass or so on and so forth. This is kind of in the same conversation for me. He had 422 passing yards yesterday. If you're a relatively young um, you know, signal caller or head coach, that's an intoxicating thing. You fall in love with that. And I, and I agree with you. Just the threat um, of a back back there uh, changes a, a linebacker's responsibilities, right? Like you, he's coming downhill. You got to hold for a second as a linebacker. You're always taught to hold and play run first, right, before you before you get back. So if you see a, you know, a, a, a fullback or a, or a halfback coming through there, like that's going to give you pause for one second, at least the threat of it. Uh, so I, I agree with you 100%. But – you know, when you have talents like that, man, and, and they're going off like he was for the most part, um, you kind of fall in love with that sometimes. That's when, you know, experience um, starts to creep in once you've been more seasoned as a head coach and, and, and you know, you know, what needs to be done there versus falling in love with what's happening on the field. So the one bright spot for the Green Bay Packers with Devontae Adams, who went off, he had a career night, had 10 catches for 180 yards, but Leaves the game with turf, though, so that'll be interesting to watch. As this Packers team, I think, was a little bit of smoke and mirrors 
their 3-0 record. We talked about it earlier this week. 3-0, but their defense was carrying the way, and their offensive numbers statistically weren't very impressive. It'll be interesting to see what direction this team goes. Um, did you happen to see what Joel Embiid tweeted out? Because he put a tweet, the Sixers center, guy who plays for Philadelphia 76ers, is watching the Philadelphia Eagles, and he tweets out, go pack go, rooting for the other squad. I mean, it's one thing to troll other NBA players. It's another thing to troll typical fans that are out there. But to troll your own fan base, I think he's got to really be careful with this because Philly fans don't mess around. And then he followed it up with a, be careful or I'm going to send my mans for y'all with a picture of Mike Scott. We remember Mike Scott who took on the fans at the Redskins-Eagles games earlier this year when he got in a brawl with them. So I, this is just one of those silly, immature things. It probably doesn't matter that much. But seriously, Joel Embiid, you don't want to lose your faithful fans. Those are people that are buying tickets to your game. I, I thought it was a foolish thing to say. Probably not the biggest deal, but just kind of foolish. Yeah, I mean, he's he, he likes to be... <laughs> Seen and heard, I guess, is the best way to put that. I think, you know, he was, I think to some degree, he's having his man Mike Scott's back, right? Like, Mike Scott got the beefing with the Eagles fans. Um, so, buddy's like, look, I'm I, I'm not riding with the Eagles anymore. The problem with that is you don't separate Eagles fans from Sixers fans from Philly fans. Like, that's one group of fans. Uh, if there's any fan base that you don't want to alienate, it's probably the Philly fan base. So, I'd say tread lightly, Joel Embiid. While I know you want to be heard and you like – you know, be in the center of attention on social media. Don't piss off the Philly faithful, bro. That's not a good look. Exactly. Be careful in Philly squad. We got a lot of them at CBS Sports HQ. or are probably listening. <laughs> they might have issues with Joel Embiid, but as long as he produces, they'll forget about it. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, welcome back to Kinnell and Bell on this Friday. Uh, it's crazy to think, Roz, that we're already getting into NBA teams reporting for training camp. Lakers report tomorrow. The regular season doesn't start that long away. Um, but we're already seeing the Lakers, who have had their share of injury issues this offseason with Boogie Cousins, um, possibly have another one to a player who was going to be an integral part of this season. Kyle Kuzma is out indefinitely with a stress reaction um, I was trying to look it up with Joey, trying to get like, hey, what does this mean? He's scheduled to have an MRI on the foot that he injured while working with Team USA. But how big of a hit could this be for the Lakers if it's one of those lingering issues that just seemingly never goes away? Um, it's going to be a significant hit for the Lakers. I mean, first and foremost, you just don't want to start off like your training camp preseason with a rash of injuries, especially when you were a team last year that had the injury bug, like you would hope that you wouldn't get hit two years in a row with that. Um, so it's not a great start for them in that regard. Secondly, you know, this is one of the reasons why a lot of people are saying no to Team USA, especially in competitions like, you know, the World Championships or the World Cup, whatever that just was. Uh, you can't, you can't afford to have, you know, those injuries on, on, you know, th that stage. You're not getting paid and then your livelihood to some degree or your team's livelihood. Uh, in the regular season is put in jeopardy. And and the the weird thing about a stress reaction is you don't know. It could linger. It's not like you have a a, a break where they're going to put you in the cast for four weeks and then you come out and you get your rehab and you should be ready to go. Stress reaction can be kind of funky like that. So if he can't play, 
um, you know, for the first month or so of the season, and then you get him back. I would imagine, you know, they weather that. You know, they've got Jared Dudley there. Um, you know, Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell Pope. Their their bodies. If you slid LeBron to the four, even though I know they want him to play the point this year, um, if you slid him to the four, you might be able to hold the fort down um, and, and play. But ultimately. They were going to lean on Kyle Kuzma to do some of the heavy lifting this year. So if you got him, if you got to be without him for more than a month, um, you're going to be in trouble if you're the Lakers. You just can't afford to have one of your horses uh, be be injured for any significant amount of time. They're not that deep. And those are older bodies that I just spoke about in, in Jared Dudley and Danny Green. Those guys are there to help out, uh, supplement, and give minutes here and there. You know, play a role. They're not there to do the heavy lifting. Yeah, so it's definitely going to be – I think they have to be patient, but it's going to be hard to be really patient in such a competitive Western Conference to hold him out as long as he needs to get healthy. Um, You played on how many teams in the NBA? How many different teams? Six, seven. Seven. So I played on three in the NFL. Was there ever a year that you went into a season – and I was on some good teams and I was on some bad teams. Mm -hmm. But it was never acknowledged as, hey – this year is going to be a little rough. We're going to look towards the future because I wasn't and I cannot imagine what that would be like, which is exactly what the Washington Wizards are dealing with. So their GM comes out. He says 2019-2020 season, it's about player development. Um, I don't I don't know how as a player, if you're a veteran like Bradley Beal, who was you know, once part of one of the best backcourts in the NBA with him and John Wall, like what are you thinking going into a point in your season where you don't need any more development and your GM is basically saying, yeah, we're not going to be competitive. We're not going to make a run here. We're about player development. I think that would be a really hard pill to swallow as a player. That is a terrible, terrible look for a general manager to come out and admit that to to the media. Uh, if that's a conversation that you have behind closed doors with, you know your your trusted uh, staff, uh, even if you have it with Bradley Beal, you know that's one thing. But you should never come out and make that public if you're their general manager. That's an awful look. And I imagine that Bradley Beal in camp um, is already trying to figure out with Washington how they can facilitate a move out of town. You 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 don't want to be a part of that. I said yesterday, you know, we were talking about, you know, the change in culture um, and when guys coming into the league on what team they're on, having a huge deal to do with the culture that you're, you're raised under. I was always on a team that had aspirations of making the playoffs or trying to win a championship. And that includes when I went to Utah um, the year after John Stockton and Malone left. Like, we were a bunch of young nobodies but we fell a half game short of making the playoffs that year because that was the culture that was established in Utah. That's what we were playing for. Even though there was probably a minimal percent chance that we would make it, you know, Jerry Sloan and the brass there didn't let us feel like it was about anything other than trying to make the playoffs. And, you know, we still developed, but we were in pursuit of trying to make the playoffs. And we did that until the last game of the season when I think we lost out to Denver. But point being, you don't come out and you don't say that. You don't have guys playing for that. Like, you got a group of young kids, Danny, and I talk about this all the time. Um, they're all going to be trying to make their statement as to who they are in the NBA. But am I a max guy? Am I a mid-level guy? Um, am I a, a, a number one offensively? Am I a role player? Who am I? Right? Everyone is going to be fighting for that, except maybe Bradley Beal and if there's another guy with some age on that roster. To let them know that this year is not about trying to win games and it's just about development – that can be an absolute catastrophe. It could be a huge mess because you've got a bunch of guys out there. You've already told we're not about winning. Just go out there and develop and get and get your stuff off. 
Like, I, I just dis- disagree with the statement and making that a public uh, thing from top to bottom. I think it was wrong. Yeah, yeah I couldn't. Raj, I, I don't I, disagree. Go ahead, Dan. No, no, go ahead. I would, I'm not interrupting. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Raj, I couldn't agree with you more. And I actually will go as far as to say, like, from my experience in the league, being on a team that in a franchise that you were with, this year is going to be a disaster for that team. It's going to be terrible. We, the My second year in Charlotte, we got rid of Steven Jackson. We got rid of Gerald Wallace. We got rid of all the guys from the year you were there when they went to playoffs. We went into that season, and everyone knew the goal was Anthony Davis. We won seven games that year, the worst win percentage in NBA history because those guys went into training camp. They went into the season knowing they don't care. Brad Buell needs to leave. He's got to get out of there. It's 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 going to be a disaster. And to be honest, when you look at the young guys that we showed on that, that roster, it's great that they want to develop them, but there's not a lot of excitement. I mean, Rui Hachimura might be the most exciting player outside of Brad Buell on that team, and he's probably not a, an all-star or a star or anything. Brad Buell's only 26 years old, but he's in his prime. It's going to be bad. And I was actually excited that they decided to move away from Ernie Grunfeld and try to go in a different direction, but this it's a terrible start. It, it Look, I agree with you 100%, and you touched on something there that that um, you know, I hadn't thought of. There, there's like, who are you developing? And what, like, if you're trying to develop, you're trying to develop a young star. Um, I can make a case for being, you know, lean in the win column because this guy ultimately is going to be a carry the mail all star, a generational type of player for our franchise. Like, I could support to some degree you rolling out a lean roster and letting that guy develop. But if you're talking about essentially a bunch of role guys and you want them to develop, like that's not a message you should be preaching to that team. It is a mess. And this is why I always, Danny, no matter what, side with a player if he has leverage, exercising that leverage to get where he wants to go. Because let's say Bradley Beal can't can't get out of there. Um, now, yeah, he got paid, and that's going to be the argument that people give me. Well, he makes a lot of money to play basketball. I, I, I get that. Like, and, and to some degree um, – you should be happy and, and grateful, you know, that you were able to make such a good living. But you're still a competitor. You still want to win. And now I'm I'm locked into a franchise that clearly has no interest in winning. And my window of opportunity does not align with theirs in any way, shape, or form. You're essentially stuck there. I just, you know, I think it's a terrible look. And hopefully they'll do the right thing and they'll let Bradley Beal go or facilitate some kind of movement for him if they can get some assets back. Yeah, hopefully, because you just mentioned it. Rajoli has mentioned 26 years old. But you are you have a finite window of when you can maximize your career, your ability, your opportunities to make money, but also to win, also to win championships. Isn't that what we're all supposed to be playing? And they, I think players want to win. They don't want to have a season that's wasted for player development. So I totally agree with you guys. And I think it's a bad look uh, for Washington to have that going forward. It'll be interesting to keep an eye on just how bad this team is with the player development approach. Um, we're talking about the NFL, some of the rule changes they have made. There was a um, a rule that's being implemented in the G League where they are going to experiment. Now, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, I did this in youth basketball. I never experienced this. But they're going to experimenting with shooting one free throw that's going to be worth either one, two, or three points depending on the foul and then revert back to two to three free throws in the final two minutes of the regulation and overtime. So... If it's the second quarter of a game, you go up for a three-pointer, you get fouled, you're going to go to the free throw line, and you're going to shoot one free throw, and it's going to count for three points if it goes in. Just one. They're trying to speed up the game. I don't know. For me, it's really hard to wrap my mind around this, where this comes into play, and where this is a good thing. But 
it maybe it speeds up games and it increases the flow of the game. I don't like it of my initial reaction, but I'm very curious to hear what your thoughts on it because you've obviously the game you played a lot more. So stupid. It's so <laughs> stupid. If you were going to say to me, hey, there's integrity of the of the game. Uh, there's some integrity of the game that we're trying to protect. We don't love fouling Clint Capella uh, late in games because you know he can't shoot free throws. And you know I don't subscribe to this either because I think if you can't shoot free throws, that's part of the game. If you're allowed to block shots and rebound and do all the things that you're really good at and, you're, and your team can exploit those things for benefit, then another team should be able to exploit your weaknesses. So if you can't shoot free throws, it's fair game to go out and foul you and make you step to the free throw line and shoot two. But if you were going to say to me that we're trying to play around with the integrity of the game and therefore, like, we're going to let Clint Capella go to the line and he's only got to make one to get two points to deter a team from chopping the game up and fouling him late, maybe. Like, I don't know. But if you're telling me this is just to save six or eight minutes, it's stupid on a lot of levels, all right? So, I, look, this is basketball. It's 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 been played like this. I, I know, uh, like the like the... Uh, big three, they do the one free throw. Like, but that's not like that's the big three. It's three on three basketball. This is NBA basketball. Don't start messing with the free throws and stuff like that. There, there's no need for a four point shot like the big three. That's its own unique brand. Like they've got a good thing going. You know, we support it. My kids love it. Don't start bringing that stuff over into the NBA, man. Step up there, knock down your two, three, or one free throw, and you get points accordingly. There's no way you're shooting one free throw for three damn points. Stupid. I, I, I could not agree more on all the points. Six or eight minutes off a game, what good is that going to do? You think that's really going to keep a millennial around? You know, well, you, a got, bit... you got to train to catch? Like, unless you're leaving Barclays or, or the Garden and you got to train to catch, like, six or eight minutes really isn't ruining your evening. No, and I'm with you. Anytime there's the hack a shack philosophy, hack the big man, whatever the person is, you want to take that strategy, hey, how about learning to shoot free throws? How about dedicating that so that that doesn't screw up the game? And yet we're paying millions of dollars for guys to go out there and they still can't shoot free throws while they're doing it. Uh, go ahead, Joey. Yeah, my, my other thing was, I guess I can't, like, if it's all about saving time in six to eight minutes, I don't see this ever making it to the NBA because isn't time everything for a TV deal? Like, do they want to cut out six to eight minutes of a broadcast where they could be showing ads and all that stuff. Like, and also just to piggyback on what Danny was saying about youth basketball, the only time, the only place I ever saw this was when I was at Florida State and we ran camps for little kids and they came in and they couldn't shoot free throws. And we just want to get these games over quicker because these kids can't shoot. So we just did it one for two, one for three, whatever. But I think it is like Raja, you sort of alluded to it. I think it's setting it up to bail out like a generation of guys who just can't shoot. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting take. Those were the good old days running basketball camps, getting paid to sit there and watch some kids run around playing basketball. That was cool. Um, yeah, you know, here's what I mean. The NBA, we 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 always praise them for being like ultra progressive and and not being afraid to try you know new new things. And and this is one where you know I I can't praise you for it, and then in the next breath, absolutely eviscerate you. So. Being forward thinking and trying out new things is a good thing. This is a miss though. Like this should never make it to the NBA. I, I, like I applaud the, the willingness to try new things and try to introduce new exciting things into the game. Some will work. Some may not. This is a, this is a one that will not work. Yeah, I, I agree. And, but hey, I give them credit. At least they're trying in the G League. The NFL's out here changing replay reviews on pass interference in the regular season of games that actually matter. So credit the NBA for at least experimenting it with it in a minor league situation, which is what the NFL should have done too. 
All right, what's going on? Welcome back to Ken Allen Bell on this Friday. So Bleacher Report put out a list. We love lists, right? All-time great lists. I don't really love them. Uh, I don't love having those debates because they're so nuanced, right? They're different eras. They're different, um, you know, rules in a lot of, of cases. But one and two, no surprise, Michael Jordan, number one, LeBron James, two. Uh, any issue with that, Raja? Because I don't. I'm an MJ guy through and through. I don't even, and LeBron would have to win more championships. Uh, and catch MJ in that area. And even if he did, I just I have a, a reverence for MJ, which I think you share the same feelings with. Are you with me on that one? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I got no beef. I mean, you know, LeBron, we could debate it, but ultimately I'm always going to side with Michael Jordan. He's six for six in finals. I grew up watching him. Like, LeBron has more work to do to catch that. All right, so then the list goes on, and it's not super controversial in the top ten. Kareem, Magic, Larry, uh, Bird, Shaq, Tim Duncan, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain. The 10th spot, though, if you're saying Steph Curry, all right, he deserves to be top 10. Well, then who are you leaving out? And I thought there was an egregious omission of the top 10 and somebody who was really ranked disrespectfully, and it would be one Kobe Bean Bryant who checked in at 14 on the list behind David Robinson, behind Akeem Olajuwon, just in front of Kevin Durant. What are you, what are your what's your take when you see Kobe Bryant as the 14th best player all time? Um, utter ridiculousness. I, I mean, you know that that top 10. If Kobe were in it, we could have a discussion and split hairs and spin wheels all day, and never really get anywhere because you're you know it, it's that close. But I include Kobe in that top 10. Steph Curry's a great player. I'm a Steph Curry fan. Um, it, it, it's ridiculous if you don't have Kobe. This is has to be some kind of analytical nerd type of approach to ranking your top tens. Um, and I don't even know how the numbers don't support him being in there when, when you use, you know, those type of metrics to quantify it. Um, the fact that, and this is no shade at the Admiral, but not only is Kobe not in your top 10, but you've got, you know, Steph, we just alluded to, uh, and David Robinson in front of Kobe Bryant. I'm not, you know, Oscar Robertson, you know, okay. Hakeem Olajuwon. I, I would still not have those guys in front, but again, I'll make a little bit of a case that they're in the conversation. You know, Steph and and David Robinson. I don't even know how I don't even know how we can have this conversation. I, I look, you know, Kobe and I have had our issues. We're friends now. We're fine. Um, this is a huge miss from Bleacher Report. I'd be really interested to know, you know, what type of you know nerd formula they use to come up with these names. <laughs> All right, I'll give you my hunch. I'll give you my best guess. Steph Curry. This would be the defense of Steph Curry. Has changed the game with the three-point shot. He's the best all-time shooter of the sh- three-point shot, and he's changed the way we play the game. Really, when you look at the way the, the youth basketball, everybody's trying to imitate themselves. Steph Curry there, first unanimous MVP. Um, it's a game-changer as far as that. But that, to me, may be true, but it still doesn't make him one of the 10 all-time best players just because people are copycatting his style of play. When you go out and look there from a sheer dominance perspective, I think it's going to be really interesting moving forward what Steph does the remainder of his career, where, yes, if he starts going back to championships when he is having to go against teams with Kevin Durant, when he has having to go against through LeBron James again, when he's having to go against this Houston Rockets team, and he doesn't have a super team around him, granted, he's still going to have some pretty impressive pieces, but I think Steph Curry can vault himself into that conversation, but I wouldn't put him there now. Does that make sense? Is that a fair assessment where Steph Curry is just too high now? Maybe he can play himself in there if he gets a couple more titles, 
and continues to dominate the way he has with the three-point shot. But you can't put him there now based on what he's done to this point. Yeah, Raj, before you respond to that, just so you got just to, one of the big stats they used, uh, it looked like one of the biggest things they used, it was ranked by win shares per 48 minutes over their career, which is, I mean, it's an, uh, win shares I think is an important stat, but you can't rank all time off just that. Ridiculous. Look, I can support, you know, everything that you just said about Steph, because, again, I'm a Steph fan. I, I got a chance to play with Steph when he was a rookie. I know his family, and this is showing throwing no shade at Steph. And, and I agree with you, Danny. That conversation and that that place on that list is ever, you know, evolving for Steph. The more the more he does, the you know, the more championships he wins. Yes, but 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 right now, like, he don't deserve to be in the top ten over Kobe Dan Bryant. I don't know what to tell you other than that. Like, you make a case for Kobe Bryant – being better than, you know, LeBron, Magic, and Larry. Like, a real case for that. So to have him all the way down at 14 is is just – it's absurd. All right, what about Kevin Durant at 15th? What do you what do you make of his ranking? Proper, under, over, where would you put him? I, I think that's fair. You know, I, I think I think that's fair right now. A guy who's still playing, um, you know, so the, 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 the jury isn't in on the career yet. Like, it's still out. He's still got work to do. Um you know, and, and names like David Robinson and Hakeem Oscar, they're not bad names to be in your top 20 at all. They just weren't like ahead of Kobe for me. So, you know, I can be okay with Kevin Garnett being, I mean, Kevin Durant, sorry, being at 15 right now. I'm cool with that. You just can't leave Kobe out of the top 10. All right. Good discussion there. Let's go on to the NFL because we have week four of the season. We got some pretty good matchups. Let's start it with the Dallas Cowboys against the New Orleans Saints. The Cowboys are laying two and a half. Teddy Bridgewater making his second start for New Orleans. Who do you like in this one? In New Orleans. Danny, Danny, Danny. Uh, Cowboys haven't played a whole lot so far this year. Like, they haven't seen a huge test. Um, Superdome, is it, what's it called? Mercedes-Benz Dome? I don't know what it's called now, but tough place to play. Here's what I think is ultimately going to happen. I think the Cowboys cover. Um, I think it's a tough game, toughest game of the year for them. But I think they really lock in on Alvin Kamara, who had like 25 of their team's like 51 touches on offense last week. I think they lock that down and they make Teddy Bridgewater take some chances. Um, and I need to see Teddy make some plays before I will back that. So I'm going with the Cowboys. I'm going with the Cowboys, too. I think last year, if you remember, their defense seemed like it was built to hold New Orleans Saints offense at bay. I think that's going to be a continuation. They played really well against them last year for one of their less, uh, least productive games of the entire season last year. And Dak is playing. We had Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes playing each other for the MVP race. I think Dak is still being undervalued in that conversation. I think he's going to continue to thrive. I think offensively, they're going to give Saints all they can't handle. So I'm going to go with the Cowboys laying the two and a half there, too. Uh, all right. What about Danny Dimes? Daniel Jones making his second start for the New York Giants. I wish it was going to be him versus Dwayne Haskins, but it won't. The Redskins aren't very good, and yet the Giants are only favored by three at home. Is it reality check time for the G-Men? Um, Danny, I think this is uh, – I think the Redskins are going to beat them. I don't I don't know why. I, I think – I think Daniel Jones is the real deal. Um, you know, I think that – I do know why. No Saquon Barkley, right? And I've said this before. I can think that Daniel Jones is the real deal and still, um, you know, still be realistic about a game plan approach to defending the Giants minus Saquon Barkley, putting way more on Daniel Jones's shoulder. And I don't know that he's ready for that. Um, I think the Redskins win the game. 
All right, I'm going to fade you. I'm going to go Giants laying the three. I think Daniel Jones infused a lot of life into that energy, a positive energy. I think there's no cloud and there's no uncertainty who's going to be playing quarterback this week. But most importantly, it brings a mobility. It's going to make it tough for the Redskins to pin him in the pocket and get that sacks that they were able to get on Eli Manning. I'm going to say the Giants get back-to-back wins with Daniel Jones as their starter. All right, finally, your boy, Baker Mayfield. That's your squad. <laughs> They're going on the road to Baltimore as a six-and-a-half-point underdog with Lamar Jackson and that team coming off a loss to the Chiefs. Ravens as a six-and-a-half-point home favorite. Who are you taking? So let me just be clear about this. I, I like the Browns, but my boy is Lamar Jackson. Like, I ride with Lamar. So I'm going to take Skillet's advice. Remember, we had Emery on yesterday. Emery said to take the Ravens, right? Because he said Baker was going to get pressured, not the same quarterback when he gets pressured. So I'm going to ride with Skillet on this one, and I'm taking the Ravens at home with the points. It's a big number against a team with that much talent that the Cleveland Browns have. I'm going to agree with you, though. I'm going to go with the Ravens, too, laying the six and a half. Until the Browns show me that they have matured, that Freddie Kitch is as capable as a play caller, that they can protect Baker Mayfield, that defensively they can get off the field, I'm not buying the hype. I need to see them deliver. Until they do, I'm going to bet against them every single time. So I'm going to take the Ravens laying six and a half as well. Those are our picks for the weekend of NFL action. We'll keep track of those. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell, one of the craziest tattoos you'll ever see, Raj. Uh, this Philly fan had the Philly fanatic tattooed on his belly button. Oh, bro. That's outstanding. Like, if you're going to go tats and you're going to have that body, you might as well have the Philly fanatic in your belly button, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you're right. Like, that just fits the mold there. Wow, look at that work. <laughs> That's a lot fits of work. Fits the mold. Oh, look at man. the 95 with the eagle coming through the – what's that? The ben, is that the – what bridge is that in Philly? Is it ben Franklin? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. But this is who Joel Embiid is trolling. I'm telling you, better be careful. Him and Mike Scott are going to end up fighting this dude someday in the parking lot. No doubt about it. Um, speaking of NFL, Tony Romo is one of the best broadcasters in the game right now, right? He's a lead guy for CBS called the Super Bowl. He's predicting plays. He's a genius. He loves playing golf. He's tried to, tried to play on some events. He has yet to make a cut. And the uh, our bosses at CBS have said, you know what? You can go ahead and play in the Safeway Open. If you make the cut, we'll have a contingency plan. Boomer Esiason will call the game. And I have a hunch that the bosses have said, ah, he's finished almost last in every event. He's never going to make a cut. We're not going to have to worry about it. But he has put himself in a position now where he's now two under par after the first round at the Safeway Open where if he can continue up this pace, he will make the cut, which means he'll have off the weekend from his NFL play-calling duties, and he'll be out on the PGA Tour playing golf. Um, I don't want to get into trouble with his bosses, who happen to me, I guess, my bosses. So um, if, if they like, this could be a good look for CBS and his broadcasting career. So I support it 100%. It must be nice. Um, it must be nice. I don't know how much he makes to call games, but that's a sweet gig when you can make that much to call games and they're still going to let you go out and like chase um, you know, your dream of playing in, in the PGA Tour and making the cut. More power to you, bro. Here's where I think it's a win-win for everybody. Um, Boomer Esiason works for CBS. He's more than capable of holding it down. Yeah. Um, CBS is a tight golf partner with the PGA Tour. So we're talking about all these things that are valuable CBS products. We're talking about the PGA Tour. We're talking about Tony Romo, who is the lead analyst. 
and we're still talking about, hey, maybe Boomer's going to call this game, who's CBS. I think it's one of those, and it's not even any pub is is good pub, because this is really just more pub. It's not bad pub. It's just a lot of people are talking about it. So I think that's a good thing. More eyeballs would be on the Safeway Open than they would be if Tony Romo wasn't there. Now, he's not going to be in one of the last group. I don't think so. I mean, he's been kind of surprised a lot of people playing uh, two under. But I don't think people are going to tune on on Sunday afternoon to see him playing golf. But on the other side, I don't, and this might be sound like a knock, I don't think it is, people don't tune in just to listen to Tony Romo call an NFL game either. Now, he enhances the broadcast. I think he does an outstanding job. I do think he's the best in the game. But people are still going to tune in to watch the NFL game no matter what, if he's on the broadcast or not. So I think it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, that sounds like a win-win-win. And I'm insanely jealous of him, by the way. Like, I mean, imagine if you could just go out there and play on the PGA Tour and try to make cuts. And he's he's got a chance. I mean, he's got a chance to make the play, uh, cut. So it'll be interesting to see how he does sleeping on a number like that. Antonio it, Brown was on the uh, – what's that? It is possible to, like, be jealous but still be happy for someone because I feel guilty because I am jealous, but I am happy for him, right? Uh, totally. I'm happy yeah, for him. Right, jealous. Right. Like, I wish I had his life. And he makes really good money and he's an awesome golfer and he gets to call NFL games every weekend. Why wouldn't you be jealous of that? I think you'd be weird if you weren't jealous of the setup that he's got. doesn't mean I'm not happy. Love my wife. Love my girls. Love my Sunday afternoon. Going to watch swim practice and all that, but he's got a pretty good setup. Um, the NFL has the Super Bowl coming up in Miami. Hopefully, we'll still be down there at Radio Row. I think we will, doing our show from down there. They announced yesterday J-Lo and Shakira will headline the Super Bowl halftime show. So you'll be Shakira, Shakira. She'll be shaking the hips a little bit out there. J-Lo will be doing her thing. How pumped are you for this halftime show? To be honest. Uh, first of all, I don't really watch any of the halftime shows. Like I, I'm in a minority, I guess. I don't care about the halftime show at all. Um, I do care about J-Lo. Um, big fan of J-Lo. said that before. Shakira, I mean, if, if Shakira comes with it, great, even better. Um, but J-Lo in and of herself, like, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I just wonder when was the last time they had a relevant hit, right? But, I mean, we've also seen The Who, and they hadn't had a hit in 30 years. and they were J-Lo, all- bro. J-Lo has a movie out right now. Yeah, J-Lo has a movie out, Hustlers. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to try to go see it uh, maybe this weekend. Maybe Sunday I have an off day. Third is pretty good. Ultimately, hey, if we're still people are eyeballs are going to be on it. I think they'll knock it out of the park. Uh, there were Miami people. Uncle Luke from Two Live Crew was upset, saying, "Hey, what about what about me? What about Two Live Crew? What about Rick Ross, Ricky Rose? What about some of the other rap scene in Miami?" Look, the NFL's got to play it safe, right? This is a pretty safe pick, and there will be a lot of eyeballs, and I'm sure they'll blow it out of the park, right? Yeah, you're going to need more of a crossover type of act, I think. Um, yeah. And I love Luke. Like, I was raised on that and Rick Rose. Like, I love all of that. But I don't know that the NFL, like, the NFL wants something that can, can appeal to a lot, like, more of the masses. And maybe, they'll, maybe there'll be some surprise performance. Maybe Daddy will come 305. You never get some 305 presentation. Enjoy the week. Ah. Uh.